0: What's up, guys? Episode 77 of the DLSS Podcast. Thank you guys for joining me, and happy Easter, of course. I hope you guys enjoyed your Easter Sunday. We're going to do a little bit different this week. Nate is out again. He's uh, getting ready to fly out to Florida tomorrow for a week, uh, look at some property and visit some family out there, but... Uh, Since there wasn't any fights, really, not UFC fights last night, Saturday, uh, but there was some action over the weekend, obviously the CFFC situation, which we'll definitely get into, and uh, some Bellator fights. They concluded the semifinals of their featherweight uh, Grand Prix tournament. And, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll go over some of the fights over the weekend, but mostly I'm just going to kind of wing it. I'm I'm literally going to scroll through my Instagram, look up what kind of MMA fight news comes to mind, And just kind of talk about my thoughts because there's so much that's going on. Things I haven't been able to touch on in previous episodes like a bunch of fights that have been announced. UFC 262 is going to be fucking stacked. We got three title fights on that card. And then Nate Diaz just got booked against Leon Edwards in a five-round co-main event for uh, UFC 261. And uh, yeah, so we'll kind of just go through some random hashtag what the fuck's going on. And uh, take a quick break, then we'll come back. And I will go ahead and give you my picks. Uh, for next weekend's card, Marvin Vittori is fighting Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland stepped up and replaced Darren Till, who broke his collarbone. So in, like, basically a week, week and a half's notice, big mouth. They're calling on him again. He's trying to wipe that taste out of his mouth against uh, the loss against Derek Brunson. But, man, is it an uphill battle against Marvin Vittori. But, man, yeah, so he's stepping up, trying to kind of do the, the UFC brass a favor by not having the main event fallout of next weekend's card, uh, April 10th. So uh, that we're going to obviously get into that card, give you my picks uh, for the entirety of that card and send you on your way. But so, yeah, we're just going to do it a little bit kind of free flow this week. I hope you guys don't mind. But before we get into any of that, got to make sure to remind you this episode and all of them, in fact, are brought to you by Dave DeCoursey and the DeCoursey group. Make sure to support the people that support the podcast. If you guys need any home loan needs or need to want to take any cash out of the equity of your home, visit www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. Let them know the DLSS podcast hel- uh, set you, and it does help us out a lot. Again, hopefully uh, him and Nate are going to be working together uh, to get him some property, hopefully out in Florida, and uh, yeah, and I'll get – uh, nate on here and tell you guys the experience front to back and uh, just reassure you that dave is an up- upstanding guy and will do his best to get you the best deal possible so you guys need any help in that regard please do support the people that support the show and check him out you guys see that uh, bellator released mike goldberg the color commentator the one that used to be you know joe rogan's right hand man Um uh, let me t- let me take a step back actually so the showtime and bellator uh, got back into business together. It's kind of weird because it's Scott Coker, who originally was the owner of Strike Force, which was on Showtime. So it's kind of like a full circle coming home uh, situation there. But uh, they had their Bellator debut on Showtime this last weekend, as I kind of mentioned earlier, with the uh, Featherweight semifinals and Patricio uh, Freddy, Patricio Pitbull taking out, uh, what was it, Emmanuel Sanchez? That's right. Uh, El Matador, Emmanuel Sa- Sanchez. Uh, That was actually a rematch, but um, their first fight went all five rounds and this one ended in the first round. Uh, But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they had their debut on Showtime. Bellator did. And if you notice, Mauro Ranallo took the place of the color commentator, who's uh, very versatile and used all over. He's done combat sports commentary all the way back in pride. He's done pretty much commentary all over the world. So he's second to none as well. And, um, If you noticed, he was the one in the role that would traditionally be filled by Mike Goldberg. And when asked in the post-fight press conference, Scott Coker was basically just summed it up to like a production decision as the terminology that he used. And it's it's one of those things, man. I hate to say it, but Mike Goldberg, as cherished and beloved as he is, he gets he gets a lot of flack for you know saying things repetitively, the same exact expressions, kind of cookie cutter, cut, cut and paste some of his uh, uh, reactions and stuff like that, and uh, just hasn't really evolved with the sport and the sport in terms of commentary with the three man booths and ex uh, fighters being in there and stuff like that. Like has really kind of tried to uh, mix things up and add a little bit more value with what it is that they're saying not just kind of add you know hyperbole and, and uh, exasperation of excitement here and there like he does. And Granted, I still think he's great, and I'm sure he'll pick up a job somewhere. Uh, but yeah, man, first UFC, and now he's getting canned by Bellator. Kind of sucks, but it is what it is, and I uh, wish the best for the guy. We'll be interested to see where he pops up next. But uh, again, Bellator uh, and Showtime coming together to put on this show. And all I'll really say is what I was kind of alluding to earlier as far as the main event. You know, they had a five-round war in their first fight. It was like a couple of years ago. And uh, Pitbull and Sanchez uh, definitely both uh, evolved and got better and, and had been doing well. So on a collision course to each other again. And then since this is the featherweight grand prix and bellator when they have a tournament like this since pitbull is the current 145 champion every single fight uh along the tournament bracket that he fights is a championship fight and um so in that vein like the belt was on the line and then also what was on the line was the chance to move on to the finals against aj mckee who had already secured his place in the finals so pitbull went out there and uh stayed patient and instead of turning it into like a brawl he waited and picked his shots, and then ended up countering kind of a a switch. So a lot of times we're seeing people cover distance by switching stances these days, Uh, but unfortunately Sanchez was just kind of too linear and uh, was a little bit too predictable because he had done it the same way a few times in a row, and Pitbull had gotten close with a couple of his counters already, so he basically just slowly but surely lined up um, the ability to counteract the switch cross step to cover distance and I think it was going to be a kick a left kick that was coming from Sanchez and during that exact moment Pitbull seeing and downloading the two or three previous times he kind of made that entry moved off to his left hand side and I think he was most most likely throwing like a left hook right hand uh, to mostly finish off with the right hand but the left hook put um, Sanchez off balance and put him so far off balance that the right hand by Pitbull, which was lined up, ended up like uh, racking him in the chest and in the shoulder instead of on the jaw, because the left hook did so much more, such much more uh, devastating impact than he expected. That he kind of moved him out of the way of the right hand. Point being is that he rocked him, he put him down, and then he eventually put him out. Uh, with his, he's very known for uh, how the strength and squeeze of his guillotine, and that's how he ended up getting it done. Sanchez was kind of his legs were underneath Pitbull, so he couldn't even post up and couldn't even kind of, like, uh, straighten out his body. He couldn't move to side control. He couldn't do anything. Once it was in, it was all she wrote. So Pitbull moves on to the finals to face A.J. McKee for not only, uh, you know, in another defense, title defense of his 145 belt, but the Grand Prix 145 Grand Prix Tournament Challenge belt as well. You get two belts when you win that. So congrats to him on a successful victory, making it a quick work of his former foe, and moving on to the finals. I don't know if I mentioned this, but this was the first event the Bellator has even put on uh, all of 2021, basically since the pandemic. So um, a little late, better, you know, better late than never, I guess. But uh, congrats. They looked like they had a good show. It came off well. No uh, extreme like protocol uh, breaches or anything. No Nobody tested positive as far as I, I know for COVID. So uh a successful event for Bellator. First one on Showtime, I'm sure it meant a lot to him. So for it to go off, you know, cl- smoothly, and it did. So successful new, you know, beginning to this uh, rekindled relationship between Scott Coker and Showtime. Uh, they, they always had a good relationship, business relationship, put on a lot of good fights. So I'm sure this will work out well. They've been bouncing around a little bit. They were on zone a little bit, Paramount Network, uh, all kinds of stuff. So uh, I think they found a home here, and it's, it's, like I said, kind of ironic to see Scott Coker go back to Showtime. But uh, we'll see where they go from here. Okay, and then moving on to the next thing I wanted to talk about from uh, over the fights this weekend. Shouts to John Morgan, who does excellent commentary. I don't know how he got through this one, but uh, CFFC had a regional show this last weekend on, uh, I think, Friday, and K-Tag Pilyev, I think is how you say his name, had his finger basically severed off. His ring finger, I think, on his left hand? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, It was completely severed off. And Angela Hill's a, a teammate and, like, a training partner of, um, Pilyev's opponent who basically said he kicked off the finger he kind of remembers the sequence when it happened but at one point they couldn't find the fucking finger they were asking the crowd to help search for the <laughs> missing finger uh, there was a, sh- a crazy shot that came out afterwards online a picture that you can see where the finger had already been severed when they were down in, the ex- in an exchange over kind of on the r- one side of the cage and then they're up in about like 5-10 feet over to the left and kind of uh, clinch fighting up against the cage and the fighter Pilyev is still continuing to fight while there's a picture and his finger is severed finger, is on the ground in the cage over off to the side it's it's incredible and this guy was bummed out when the doctor said that he couldn't continue competing although obviously later on he was uh, more concerned about his severed finger and there's information online pictures that is that i put on my instagram but you can easily find it on google where it shows the fighter and like the bandaging it up with the, com- the completely severed finger there and then the following picture is um, at the hospital after they had reattached it, and it's intriguing in that sense where I couldn't believe how clean it looked and how like easily they were able to do that, and it might have to do with the fact that it looked like it came, came off like clean at a joint, and um, I'm sure there's going to be long-term like ligament and tendon issues. However, it was pretty incredible to me how um, easily they were able to, whoop, there you go, back on, good as new. It was incredible, and these... Russian fighters, man, they're something else built, just built different, the guy was calm and composed, and it was, it was just like, where the fuck is it, like, I don't know, man, you guys need to check the highlights on this one, it was incredible, it just goes to show you guys, sometimes, like, we talk about how the prelims, even regional shows can have, like, really exciting, and just unexpected things that happen, because anything can happen in MMA, uh, speaking of that, you guys were, uh, I'm sure you're made aware of, of, you might've heard something about the Reebok deal, the uh, apparel deal coming to an end with the UFC. I think it was six or seven years there with the UFC and, uh, basically all of the things that they made for the fighters with the exception to shoes, just cause, uh, the next company doesn't make shoes, but Venom was announced as the next, uh, apparel company for the UFC. And they're just a little bit more in, uh, the no and have the kind of like more of a accepted as far as a brand that makes apparel specifically for combat sports and for fighting so i'm sure overall like I'm, I'm interested to see there's been some leaked photos with brian ortega wearing some of the gear but i'm interested to see what the actual apparel looks like but as far as the business side of things guys like you know when the ufc started the reebok deal a lot of the reasons there was a lot of pushback on it is because a lot of fighters were making a, a lot of their income from their sponsorships you know you remember and in regional shows you'll still see it you know on their on their actual fight kit there's sponsorships i have you know our logos on geo uh and at a couple other places you know we've endorsed ricky Bendejas, things like this but that's in bellator that's in regional shows that's not in the ufc When they signed the Reebok deal, they took away the fighters' ability to have their own individual sponsors. And a lot of fighters made considerably less money now in that income stream. And the way that the pay structure worked, Dana White and everybody argued that obviously they're going to give back to the fighters through the Reebok deal what they lost from their individual sponsorships. But there's even more to it How the fact that the UFC would tax the sponsors before the deal, the Reebok deal. The individual sponsors would have to pay the UFC as well as the fighters so that fighters, they always get a cut. But the overall like a feeling with the Reebok deal as far as the fighters were concerned is they didn't get a choice in the matter because they don't have collective bargaining. They don't have... Um, a union or, or the Ali actor, other things in place to protect them for, and have, give them a say in these matters. But they, you know, were not being recompensated in the same amount that they were losing from their sponsorships, not even close. And, um, for instance, like, if you look with the Venom deal now, that's the only reason I'm bringing up kind of the history of the Reebok deal, if you weren't aware. With the Reebok deal, Dana White was likes to bolster that everybody got a pay raise. And I, in fact, even kind of argued that, you know, it is a little bit better, but... If you think about it, because of the fact that the Reebok deal gave a certain amount of money for the number of fights that you've had with the UFC, you know z- zero to six, a certain small amount; six to ten, a certain amount; ten to fifteen, twenty plus. You know there was tiered systems. Um, with the Venom deal, if you look at the numbers side by side, yes, about a thousand or so dollars in each category. Plus now between one and three fight, like fights, you know you get a little bit more. And then the you know if you're fighting for a title, or if you're fighting um, as the champion, you get a little bit more. But if you think about it over six, seven years, especially with all the stimulus money that's been put into the system, like the amount of inflation that's happened over the last six, seven, eight, ten years, the amount of a bonus or increase that's in the Venom deal probably barely covers that. So essentially it's business as usual, same deal, different story as far as fighter pay goes. Um, so, you know, Venom isn't necessarily like um, a bad guy in this, but they're obviously going to come in, do what they can to give the fighters what is expected. And then I think they'll add value by the fact that their gear is going to be probably a little bit more comfortable. um Side note, I really hope that eventually D- uh, Dana White and UFC get together with Onyx and Ty- uh, Trevor Whitman for the new gloves because his have proven to help with the poke situation and just be an overall better glove by far. But. All I'm saying is, as far as the apparel deal goes, it's just going to be a switch in terms of what it looks like, the name on the top of the bill, and, uh, you know, as far as fighter pay, it's pretty much business as usual. Um, if you're a big-time fighter and you can get endorsement deals and big things outside of your UFC pay, and if you're McGregor, you can get fucking around all of it and get proper 12 on the damn campus, but in general, you're still suffering from the fact that you're locked into this apparel deal. You can't get outside sponsorship that, you know, for your fight kits and your fights at least. And, uh, you know, it's not a whole hell of a lot of money compared to what um, some fighters, when they leave the UFC and they go to Bellator or other organizations like PFL and stuff, and they're now able to regain some of their sponsorship money, um, they're saying all told, not necessarily their purse, but with, uh, you know, adding into the sponsorships and everything like that, that they were making the same, if not more than they made uh, under their UFC contract. So it's just one of those kind of controversial deals where the UFC is going to do what it's trying to do, going do to do to help save their bottom line. And, you know, so there's a lot of contention in terms of the apparel deal in general, which I get. But just talking about, you know, the changeover in terms of Venom, I'm actually kind of excited to see what, you know, the changes that come in terms of what the apparel looks like. And, uh, yeah, and, and if the fighters have any feedback as far as, like, how they like it, if does it feel fit, work better, like, are these comments genuine or are they just toting the line to try to help get their fight kits sold, stuff like that. But overall, just kind of my two cents on the whole apparel deal situation. Okay, and then did you guys see the tweets between John Jones and D- and Dana White even backed him up and stuff like that? And it was still technically the first of April in New Mexico. He, you know, other people later pointed out, and he even John Jones tweeted like, "I hope you guys are you had a good April Fools." Um, but I'm still of the opinion, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stand firm on this. I think this is legit. I don't think that, you know, papers are signed necessarily. And shit, they maybe even didn't actually hang out that night together. And maybe Dana was just kind of playing along and knowing what was going on. Or maybe they even discussed it behind the scenes. Point being, I really do think that they're starting to come together on this and that that is a good sign. It was genuine as a good sign, a good omen. But they, you know, also recognize the date, recognize the ability to kind of have some fun. John Jones, other people have done this before. Dana White's even had to say that the Tony and Khabib fight was got canceled. Or he fell out, I think, the fourth or fifth time on the first of April uh, two years ago. I think it was now. Damn, it's been forever. But, yeah, so I'm of the opinion that they are kind of, like, piggybacking on the fact that it was April Fool's to, like, fuck with people. But it was still, like... There's some sincerity to the whole exchange. And I want to know what you guys think because I shared it and I immediately, you know, believed that it was true as far as like them coming together and starting to work on the details of a contract between Francis and Ganu and John Jones to finally fight. I think it's going to happen in May or July or something like that. You know, what would be International Fight Week now that the UFC is going back to full crowd starting with UFC 261. um, Obviously, I think that there's more on the table as far as making a deal for the UFC and uh, yeah, it's 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 time to get to work. And also, all this kind of parlays into another topic I wanted to talk about, which is if you're not aware, Endeavor, you know, WME, IMG, and Endeavor are the three big companies that bought the UFC when they paid you know billions of dollars for it. And Endeavor, uh, at one point a couple years ago, a few years back, they tried to go public. And in order to do that, you need to have over a, a half, over 51% ownership. And there was a couple other big players in the game that recently got bought out again. So now Endeavor truly does own majority stock and pretty much the entire UFC portion of uh, the the greater uh, umbrella corporations like entire portfolio, which the UFC is just a portion of. They pretty much own the entire UFC now and they're doubling down on it because the UFC stood for 80 percent of the Endeavor's revenue over the. 2020 year with the pandemic because they have a lot of like motion pictures and other industries that didn't, you know, do jack shit over 2020. UFC basically saved their ass all that together. uh, They're going to try to push again for a new IPO for Endeavor to go public. The parent company for the UFC And Elon Musk was named one of many, because when they start to go in public, you have to do a lot of certain public disclosures. And this is one of them. And Elon Musk was named one of the potential directors uh, on the board uh, for Endeavor for if they go public. And uh, just throwing all that information out there because if you guys remember in 2016, it was one of the best years to date with uh, pay-per-view buys and in terms of stacked cards and a lot of crazy awesome cards as far as the consumer and the fans concerned. And if you guys think about it, even with the pandemic, uh, 2020 had a lot of awesome cards when they did start to get back and get rolling and 2021 has already showed out with the card with three title fights there's another UFC 262 is coming up with three title fights they just threw Nate Diaz on as a five round main event or I'm sorry co-main event first time ever in UFC history they're stacking the deck and they're making the UFC uh, brand as strong as possible like they did in 2016 right before they tried to sell for billions of dollars so I feel like this is all connected and uh, the fan is, is going to win out in the short run as far as all these crazy, awesome stacked cards, so that when Endeavor, if all all signs point to them trying to push to go public again soon, uh, can do it um, on the back of the UFC doing huge numbers and killer pay-per-view shows and a lot of star power coming to the table on these on these crazy stacked cards. So um, John Jones finally being able to start uh, coming to the table with the UFC and them being willing. To maybe bend a little bit in terms of his demands. I mean, he was saying originally, if you guys caught this, that uh, eight to 10 million with Hunter Campbell conversation just wasn't going to be enough. And, you know, that doesn't make him look very good in the public eye. It's just one of many reasons why he shouldn't do his negotiations in the public. But it's funny if you guys saw it, Derek Lewis came back out on Twitter and was like, shit, I'll do it for eight million. Another reason why it's going to be difficult and probably impossible to get these guys to come together uh, in a union because everyone's in a different spot in their career and have has different needs and will always do it. There's always going to be someone out there that will do it for less, even when it's small amounts or, in this case, with in terms of millions. So um, all that stuff is just kind of intriguing to me, and it all kind of plays together as to why John Jones has been able to start to make a deal with the UFC. I feel like a lot of that stuff and the whole April Fool's shit was actually genuine. It was like a double-double cross, if you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, man, I'm really excited to see uh, UFC 261s coming Nate Diaz and uh, Leon Edwards in the co-main event. As I just said, five rounds, first time ever. Co-main event, non-title fight, five-round fight. The main event in that uh, card. Oh, damn, I keep saying it backwards. Sorry, UFC 261 is with the three. Uh, title fights. That's with Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal, Wiley Zhang and Rosnama Yunus, Valentin Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. And then UFC 262 is the one where they put the co-main event with Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. And then the main event of that is the light, heavy, or sorry, the lightweight title fight that was announced. Charles Oliveira, who uh, is taking on Michael Chandler. So if you listen to Dustin Poirier after his win over Conor McGregor and how he was contemplating whether or not he was going to fight for the title or if he was going to fight in the trilogy against McGregor. Um, he was talking about how Charles Oliveira is the one that deserved the shot with everything that he's done in the division over the last however many years in the streak he was on and everything, you know, shouts to myself. If you guys listen to the uh, deep dive I did on Charles Oliveira and how him and Dustin Poirier are kind of, you know, from the same cloth, doing it the long way, doing it the hard way. And uh, so Dustin Poirier agreed with me. Charles Oliveira ultimately does get the shot, but it's kind of ironic. You know, it's, it's like opposite um, storylines here where – uh, he's facing Michael Chandler, who's only got one win in the UFC, albeit versus a top contender and Dan Hooker, and albeit, you know, in devastating fashion, um, and, you know, him coming to the UFC with very little experience was the reason in the UFC, I mean, that Des said that he needs to get a few more fights uh, in the top five before he deserves a shot, and then You know, contrast that with him saying, Dustin Poirier, that Charles Oliveira deserved the shot because of all the work he's put in the division. So now these two guys actually face each other to determine the new UFC lightweight champion now that Khabib is officially retired. He was always retired, guys. You know, we all know that. Um, But it's kind of, you know, smart on Dustin's uh, part, in my opinion, if he's confident that he's going to win this trilogy because he goes out there, gets the money fight, you know, red penny night again, cashes in, gets all the exposure, builds his brands, his, his foundation, his hot sauce, everything else, again, just, you know, re and doubles and triples his exposure and his celebrity and then goes back and of course everyone considering him the lightweight uncrowned lightweight champ and will face the winner of this fight charles Oliveira versus michael chandler at ufc 262 so there's just so much stuff coming in the works and all these fights get announced Corey sanhagen is fighting tj dillashaw who's coming back off of suspension uh, i mean there's just all kinds of stuff in the works and uh you know we as the fan are going to benefit from it so i'm just really excited and there's all kinds of fights i wanted to make sure to, to touch on that were announced and i think i covered a few of them there and uh, i want you guys to let me know what you guys think make sure to reach out to me uh on my instagram love underscore 84 or twitter d love underscore 84 just forget the period on the twitter uh but yeah man it's, it's a whole lot of stuff coming 2021 started off with the bang first quarter's done and uh i'm looking forward to see where they go next and then i don't know why but i felt like i wanted to before we moved on to next week and start giving you my picks is i wanted to give a shout out to all the podcasts that i listen to not like they listen to mine really but you know there's a lot of podcasts i always record on sundays release it monday early morning five thirty. and then throughout the week you know there's podcasts that i listen to and i get my dirt from you know like the Dogger pass podcast is a great one for like draft kings advice and betting advice and then um like um the Co Main Event Podcast I love listening to, Ben Folkes and Chad Dundas I do listen to like uh, some of Ariel's stuff. I'm a big consumer of all morning combat and everything Luke Thomas does, breakdowns and otherwise. Same thing with Dan Hardy. I love all of his breakdowns, uh, technical stuff, and he's just him and Luke Thomas, in my opinion, are some of the best, too, at actually like, breaking down things technically, and um, John Anik and Kenny Florian and the Anik and Florian podcast must listen every week. They got uh, a lot of cool breakdowns. They got the Ray Longo minute. Shouts to Cody Merrow over there doing a great job, and then you know Ian Parker comes on, gives his picks uh, against Kenny Florian so that in contrast with the Dogger Pass and a couple other podcasts is you know one of the things I listen to throughout the week after I make my picks to see if I need to readjust of course John Mor- Morgan and the MMA Roadshow you know I'm, I'm pretty much the reason John Morgan has a Venmo account I, I forced I tracked him down I don't know if you guys listened to one of the old episodes about me making sure I could contribute during these times uh when everyone was separated and you know I wanted to Give some good karma by donating to their frosty beverage fund because they're always indulging in frosty beverages, which I am myself this week. Got my second favorite Wolf Puppet Wolf Pup Session IPA by Golden Road, but shouts to uh, you know John Morgan Hot Tea and Cold Coffee over there at the MMA Road Show. Love them. The they're, they're, uh, and every week listen. Um, and then also I listen to uh, Cheryl Son and stuff. Got to listen, read between the lines with his stuff, but I listen to a lot of his stuff. And then also Submission Radio. Submission Radio is a really good one. They're an Australian outlet. They do a really good job. They've been around for a long time. Um, you know, what, I love when John Anik and people that don't normally do interviews go on a couple podcasts here and there. And there, uh, him, John Anik, Dan Hardy, Luke Thomas, all these other people that I listen to there. Podcast directly. They always go on Submission Radio, and those guys are really good. So check out all those podcast guys. Sorry if I missed any, but uh, those are the ones I typically listen to every single week. And it's it's really cool to listen to these guys uh, bring up and argue a lot of the same points that I that Nate and I talk about on our Sunday show when we record just off the top of our head. And sometimes they give me you know an opposite perspective. One time, sometimes one guy on the show will agree with mine, and then the other guy will disagree and give his his account on things. And it's cool because I get to kind of see. From a different perspective, and uh, really helps me to bounce ideas off, uh, as well as just kind of get a little bit of confirmation that I somewhat know what I'm talking about, and uh, it makes it fun for me. So make sure to check those guys out uh, as well, and uh, hopefully you enjoy some of what they have to say uh, on top of, you know, what we're trying to bring to the table, which is trying to be unique by just being ourselves. And every single week I come to you guys and I break down fights, but I also try to just kind of bring some of my general thoughts as far as what's going on to in the industry, um, but you know, the more and more, there's free time to to just kind of flow. The better I'll get at it, and I hope you guys enjoy it so far. With that in mind, make sure you guys are engaging the show. Let me know what it is you want me to discuss, other than the upcoming fights or breaking down and uh, the fights that happened previously in the week. So, you know, if there is time and when I can mix it in, I like to just kind of, you know, like I said, touch on what's happening generally in the sport, not necessarily just the fights coming up. Um, so, uh, make sure to reach out to me, and uh, if you can, Apple and iTunes is preferred. And uh, I appreciate when you do. I'm going to take that break right now, come back, and then we'll just jump right into next week and give you my picks for UFC Fight Night Vittoria versus Holland. So stay put. All right, we're back. So, UFC Fight Night Vittoria versus Holland, one of the two last cards at the UFC Apex before they go back on the road. And, uh, st- you know, starting with Jacksonville, UFC 261. So, there's this Fight Night. And then the I believe yep the following week April seventeenth is USC Fight Night Whitaker versus Gastelum Kevin Ga- Kelvin Gastelum coming back to take on Robert Whitaker the fight that we got pulled I think day of or way ins day day before a couple years back in um, Australia so really pumped to see Kelvin Gastelum come back and uh, can really put himself back in the title picture with a win over Robert Whitaker, who's looked incredible in his last couple fights. So, uh, yeah, that one's exciting as well. But getting ahead of myself, UFC Fight Night, Vittori versus Holland, obviously headlined by Marvin Vittori, taking on Kevin Holland, who's stepping in in last minute's notice, like I explained, with Darren Till's collarbone injury. The co-main events: Arnold Allen versus Sadiq Yusuf. Kyle Dacus versus Aliskov Kaziriev. Sam Alvey versus Julian Marquez. Um, Nina Ansaroff, Mackenzie Dern, Mike Perry versus Daniel Rodriguez. So that's just the main card, guys. A lot of fun fights. And then Jim Miller, old faithful, man, coming back, taking on Joe Selecki in the featured fight of the prelims. Scott Holtzman taking on uh, Mastasis Gamrot. Man, I can never get that name right. Norma Dumont versus Aaron Blanchfield. John McDessie coming back. I haven't seen him in a while versus Ignacio Bahamondes. And then Jorgen DeCastro, Jairis Donjoe. Azur, Hunter Azur versus Jack Shore. 15 fights on this card, guys. Uh, Luis Saldana, Jordan Griffin, Dung, Jung Dong Un versus William Knight, who just got rescheduled from last uh, two weeks ago. And then Mpika versus Sasha Polit- Palatina. Latkenov. That's the opening fight on the card, guys. So I'm going to burn through these because there are 15 fights and start giving you my picks. All right, starting off the night, Impa Kasanganai versus Sasha Palatnikov. And 8-1 and one, Impa Kasanganai is coming off that devastating, like, head kick heard around the world uh, loss to Joaquin Buckley. But if you look at the, you know, stuff coming out, social media, stuff like that, after the fight, he, he was in a very good mental sp- space. It's something you want to see from a fighter, especially his early on in his career, coming off a loss like that. Um, you know, he, he recognized he just got caught he made some mistakes and he was going to go back and work harder to come back and have a, a dominating performance to kind of wipe the slate clean and I expect him to do that and I also expect him to be a heavy favorite and yes he is, minus 280 to Sasha coming back, plus 240 so in this case, short and sweet, I expect Impa Kasanganai to come back and get the victory get it done, he does have a little bit of um, ish, not issues, but things that cause concern on the uh, on paper in terms of the stats 9.78 strikes landed per minute by Sasha to Impa Kasanganai's 5.36 and he does um, also, Sasha that is, absorbed more strikes per minute, so maybe uh, inside the distance finish if Impa can land something clean, but I do expect him to come come back and get the victory in this one so it's first fight of the night and picasanga and i gets it done all right and then moving on william knight who was recently scheduled to take on Al- alonzo Minifield, who fought last week and he got i'm, I'm not exactly sure if it was a COVID or uh, maybe someone in his camp got covid not sure but william knight got rescheduled quick turnaround so now he's going to be fighting uh don un jung or jung Da, just depending on which direction and how you pronounce it and uh he's um Jung has got, you know, basically three victories in a row. I mean, he's got a draw in his recent fight against Sam Alvey. Uh, but before that, it was like a split draw, first of all. Before that, he's got a TKO victory over Mike Rodriguez. And before that, he's got a guillotine choke over um, Abri- Abri- Abragymov. There we go. And then, um, so, but going into the last fight, I was going to pick William Knight to take out um Alonzo Benfield, who you saw win uh, with Von, Von Fluchoke recently in a couple weeks ago, and I, I and I'm like I think this is a tougher fight for him, even though uh, Jung is lesser known than Alonzo Benfield, but overall I am gonna probably lend uh, lean in William Knight's favor. Let me take a look at the odds. Damn, so William Knight is a plus one twenty. To Jung's minus 140, so I guess the odds makers kind of agree with me that this was a tougher fight for Knight than the Minifield fight, at least on paper. So um, for the time being, I do reserve the right to switch. I'm gonna go with the underdog here. Stick with my uh, original pick, William Knight, to take out Daun Jung. Okay. Then moving up the card, Luis Saldana versus Jordan Griffin. I don't know much about Saldana. He's only got one fight in the UFC. Uh, he did finish his opponent in the third round. TKO And uh, had a dominant performance. So his stats on the UFC uh, stats website are, I don't want to say inflated, but, you know, they only have one fight to go off of. I do know a little bit about Jordan Griffin. He lost his last fight to uh, Yusuf Zalal, unanimous decision. Uh, He's got a couple wins in the UFC, but, you know, kind of back-and-forth record. Um, And he's lost to Chaskelly. He's lost to Dan Ige. Uh, You know, there's wins over, over, you know, very notable people that you would know. Uh, Same thing with Saldana, though. Like, you know, Murdoch is the... Let's see the full name here. Let me double-check real quick. So he has a victory over Vince Murdoch in Dana White Contender Series. Okay. So this is technically his UFC, UFC debut. And uh, so he's going against Jordan Griffin, who's been in the UFC a decent amount of fights. He's got five fights in the UFC. Uh, Let's see, two victories, three losses. So I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to feed someone in the UFC to a Dana White Contender Series prospect so that continues to make the Contender Series look you know legit because i think it is in terms of talent but if you look at it though actually one of those wins was over maurice mitchell which was in the dana white contender series so i guess both these guys are ufc dana white contender series alums and uh you know so i don't know i, I feel like jordan griffin has had a tough time tough tough go so far on the ufc and uh i don't know it might be time for this new up and comer to take him out let's take a look at the odds here Okay, so Griffin is a plus-120 underdog, Luis Saldana minus-140. So pretty close with the odds here. Um, I don't know. I want to go with Saldana for now. If I hear something throughout the week that makes me think he's going to be a little bit too green to deal with what Griffin's going to be able to uh, bring as far as, like, uh, durability and staying power being there through all three rounds. But, again, he did finish his last opponent in the third round. So, for now, I'm pretty confident in going with Luis Saldana to take out the vet and Jordan Griffin. All right, now Hunter Azur versus Jack Shore. I'm going to take a look at them real quick. Um, Both these guys are relatively new to the UFC. And both of them, from what I recall, without bringing them up, I'm about to bring them up, have been having a decent amount of success. Bantam weights, 135, 9-1 for Hunter Azure versus Jack Shores, 13-0, so I say decent amount of success. Let's see, uh, Jack Shores coming off a two-fight win streak in the UFC versus Hernandez and Phillips, and then Hunter Azur has got with three of his last four, only loss coming to Brian Boom Keller, and he's coming off his most recent win win over Smith. So, let's see, taking a look, their estimated fight average fight time is both uh, over 10 minutes, so it could be a decision fight, you never know, both 5'8". Looks like Jack Shores fought at 135 before, but he's got a longer reach by two inches uh, on Hunter Azor. So let's take a look. Jack Shore is a little bit younger by three years. Uh, looks like Hunter lands a little bit more uh, per minute. Not by much, though, but he also absorbs a little bit more per minute. And then uh, Jack Shore has got more takedown averages per 15 minutes at 5.16. Uh, so I don't know. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth fight. Could be, even though early on on the card, uh, potential for Friday the night. Uh, Let's take a look at the odds again here. Hunter Rizura plus 130. Jack Shore minus 150. I am struggling with this one uh, for now. Uh, Two fights. I'm going to go with the momentum there. He's got a little bit more. I'm going to go with Jack Shore, the, the favorite here. Uh, reserve my right to switch as always but um, for now jack shore is the way to go okay now heavyweights we got uh jorgen DeCastro versus jargis Donho and man these guys are looking evenly matched six and two for jorgen DeCastro, six one and one for dodges Um a little bit longer fight time for Danho, uh but he's 265 and they're both huge six foot for DeCastro, castro six three for for jargis and I don't know, man, these heavyweights could easily put each other out with just one shot, especially in, in that smaller cage. They're roughly the same average strike slanted per minute, a little bit more absorbed by uh, Donjo. So I don't know, man. I think because Danio's got a loss and a draw, basically, uh, coming into the UFC. And DeCastro came in with two wins, one over uh, Meeks, one over Tafa, then lost to Greg Hardy, and then recent loss over Felipe. So I think that this is hopefully a get-back-on-track fight for DeCastro. Let me take a look at the here real quick. Uh, let's see here, DeCastro. Where are you, DeCastro? Uh, there we go. Wow, DeCastro's a heavy favorite, minus 300 to plus 250 for Donho. All right, well, I guess I'm going to go with that same logic and go with DeCastro to get it done. Okay, and then the next one's another one that could be a really exciting fight. Not to, Don't do, know too much about his opponent, but John McDessie is back. I mean, this this guy's resume in the UFC. He lost to Londa Venata in his UFC debut. No big deal there. Then beat Abel Tru- Tru- Trujillo. Ro- beat Ross Pearson, beat Daniel Pinedo, and then recent loss over... Um, trinaldo right so that's i mean pretty good um you know tough resume there as far as who he's facing the ufc overall record 17 7 and then ignacio Bujamandez is 11 and 3 overall he's got a way shorter average fight time Bujamandez does he's fought at 170 before he's like let's see eight ninety 7 inches taller than mcdesi and he's got a seven inch reach Advantage over him as well, so it's going to be a very interesting fight given he's only got one win in the UFC over Gomez. And uh, McDessey's faced the you know a hell of a tough row of fighters in his UFC career, so he's got a lot of experience and he's been in there with a lot of elite guys. So to see him face someone that's this new but with this many like attributes potentially over him and a win. I'm not exactly sure where this is going to go. I am big fan of McDessie, and I'm excited to see him back in the cage. And uh, let me take a look at the odds here real quick. Maybe that will help me make my decision here. Um, let's see. McDessie is uh, plus 165 underdog to Ignacio Bajamandes. So for now, heartstring pick. I'm going to do some more research throughout the week, but I'm going to go with Mcdessi And uh, if this guy, Bajamandes, is just you know a, a beast on paper and a beast on the regional scene but hasn't yet faced the level uh, of the UFC, especially the level that uh, Mcdessey's faced, I might stick with it and try to get those underdog points. So stay tuned for that. But for now, going with John McDessie. Okay, then the next one is Norma Dumont versus Aaron Blanchfield. Norma's got a few fights in the UFC. She's got far more experience. She's got 10 years on uh, Blanchfield as well. Um, this is Blanchfield's UFC debut, as far as I can tell. She's a, a heavy underdog at plus 200. So I'm going to go with the favorite short and sweet here. I think Norma Dumont grinds out the decision. So uh, Norma Dumont to get the win. And then we have Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman versus Mateus Gamrot. Gamer is his nickname, so uh, I don't know, man. This one's interesting to me because he arguably won his last fight. um, I'm sorry, Gamrot against um, Kutuladze was his opponent. And he took him down five times in a loss. He's averaging five takedowns per fight because that was his only fight in the UFC. And he outstruck him. He just got knocked down, and it was a back-and-forth five close fight, but um, split decision loss to Kutuladze, so arguably could have been a win. But... Granted, only fight in the UFC, and uh, holzman has been in the UFC facing, he's got a win over Patrick, lost to Nick Lentz, win over Dung Young Ma, win over Miller, and he's coming off a loss, a recent loss to Benil Darush, who we know, who's a savage and up there. So, you know, I don't know. Lately, I feel like they give us a lot of these, like, you know, one fight, two fights in the UFC or debuter that looks like they could be the future, but you're not sure until they face someone of UFC caliber, and so it's kind of always a question until you actually see it play out, so... This is one of those cases, Um, let's see, taking a look at the odds, it looks like Holtzman is actually a little bit of an underdog at plus 190. So for now, I'm uh, going to take a a gamble on the underdog Holtzman here. I'm going to do a little bit more research, as I always say. I might switch that to camera, but for now, going with Scott Holtzman to get the victory here. All right, then the next one, the featured matchup on the prelims: Jim Miller versus Joe Selecki. I don't even need to look at this or break this down. I always go with Jim Miller, and until I feel like he doesn't have that uh, good chance to get a hold of a, a limb or a neck in the first round, or just you know the ability to grind it out because he is a veteran and tough as nails, uh, I'm going to stick with him. I'm, I'm going to take a look at the odds, and my hope is that he's an underdog, so I can snack some points here. He is at plus one ninety-five. So Joe Selecki, a decent favorite, he got a three-fight win streak coming into this fight. So don't make sense but i am not deterred i'm going with jim miller to get it done okay and that wraps up the prelims. so the curtain jerker for the main card man they good matchmaking for this one is uh Mike Perry versus Daniel Rodriguez. Daniel Rodriguez has done really good so far in the UFC. Four out of his last five, he was on a four-fight winning streak and then recently lost to Nicholas Dalby. And then uh, Mike Perry, obviously, up and down, up and down. He had a win over Mickey Gall to kind of bounce back of a two-fight losing skin and then recently lost to Tim Means. So, you know, he's looking to bounce back. Obviously, you never really know the state of Mike Perry and and what's going on in his – Outside the cage life, so it's always an X factor, but I don't know. I'm sure Mike Perry is probably the underdog here. Let's take a look. Mike Perry is plus 155 to D Rods, minus 175. I definitely see this fight going to or finishing inside the distance. For some reason, you see Perry come out and know his back's up against the wall. He needs to get a victory. I could see him actually shooting for some takedowns and winning with some top control and just kind of grinding out a decision. But uh, the way their temperament of both these fighters are, like their way that they just like their mental state and when they go in there and fight, um, I definitely I expect them both to come out and kind of bang and uh, make it a, a, a pure you know, what they probably try to expect the curtain jerker to do. Start off the night, set off the tone, and make everybody want to come out and fight for that fight of the night bonus. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But I'm going to actually go with Mike Perry in this one. I'm going to get those underdog points. I just think that Rodriguez, in in the past, I've seen him buckle under extreme pressure up against the cage. the small octagon, I feel like, will help Perry to track him down, whether he does want to kind of grind him out and potentially try to wrestle a decision and just get the dub or you know I feel like these guys as I said you know their temperaments I feel like they're just going to want to come out and bang and it's just going to help Mike Perry do what he likes to do best and uh you know I feel like he needs to get this victory and uh the the odds makers is because of I think it's a little off only because you know of course you never know what to expect from Mike Perry but you know the people he's faced in his in his career is just way higher level of talent than the people that Rodriguez has faced. So I'm going with the underdog here. I think Mike Perry could get it done. Okay. and Then the next one is a pretty critical matchup in the women's strawweight division. We got Mackenzie Dern taking on Nina Ansaroff. Nina Ansaroff, of course, the partner of uh, women's goat and double champ uh, Amanda Nunes, and you know is coming off of obviously having a child. But previous to that, she only has one loss to uh, I believe is Tatiana Suarez. I believe. And then she got wins over Claudia Gedalia and wins over Ronda Marcos uh, went over, he went over uh, a lot of, you know, four fights, win streak before her most recent loss. And then uh, Mackenzie Dern's only lost to Amanda Hebos. She's going to win over Amanda Cooper, win over Cyphers, Marcos herself, and coming off a win against Jan Jaroba. So Mackenzie Dern, obviously, has been working on her hands a lot over with uh, Jason Perillo and Ruka. She obviously got the jiu-jitsu skills and acumen. She was born on the mats, basically. So I think Nina um, is going to have to try to keep this on the feet, and it's going to be a showcase of Mackenzie's uh, evolution in terms of of her striking to see if she's going to be able to have those skills uh, at the level she's going to need to in order to compete at the, at, at the top because we know her ground game is good and she's been having to kind of learn on the job in terms of striking Nina Ansaroff, obviously sparring with the women's GOAT and just is a well-rounded fight all, all around. I think, um, you know, we'll be able to mix it up and I think Mackenzie Dern is going to want to try to get it to the floor at some point, but it's going to be relatively even. Uh, Maybe uh, Nina's going to be a little bit more comfortable, obviously, on the feet. So Mackenzie's going to try to keep it there for a little bit and then ultimately want to take it to the ground, as I just said. So Nina is a slight favorite at at minus 120. I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern, the underdog here. Underdog is only a plus 100 underdog. I feel like at some point she will be able to get it to the mat and get it done, so... Uh, I'm going with McKenzie during to get with the victory in this one. Okay, and then the next one, I don't really know what to expect, man. I'm a big fan of Smiling San Albi, and, uh, you know, he's always someone you can bet on to get that. He has got a good puncher's chance. He's actually, you know, worked on being more technical, and, uh, you know, but he's pretty much got is like Derek Lewis, right? There's only a few things that he does, but he does well. And uh, one of them is having a granite chin and looking for that – I believe it's a – I don't know if he's southpaw or not, but a counter, counter check hooks is one of the things he likes to go for. Anyways, my point is is that uh, the guy who's fighting, uh, Julian Marquez, interesting character in and of himself. He's coming off a submission win in the third round over Maki Patolo. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's got wins over Phil Haas and Darren Stewart. He lost it to DeChirico, but again, like I said, coming off that win against Maki Patolo, So he's got some momentum here. Uh, Sam Alvey is coming off a draw with uh Jung. And then previous to that, a uh, four-fight losing streak lost to Ryan Spann, lost to Bray, lost to Jim Croot, lost to Nogueira. So it's one of those things where one guy's got some momentum and the other guy's kind of on a losing skid. But Sam, always is always, Sam Alvey is always a live dog. And um, I'm really tempted to go with him because the, the odds aren't that wide on this. But for now, um, I hate to do it, I hate to go against my guy, but I got to go with Julian Marquez to get the victory over Sam Alvey. And the next one, the middleweight Docus brother, Kyle Docus, taking on Aleksab Kizriev. Kisriev is undefeated at 13-0. He's got one fight in the Dana White Contender Series that ended in 50 seconds. And Kyle Dacus has been, you know, both Dacus brothers have had a lot of success in the UFC as of late. The only person that Kyle's lost to was Brendan Allen, who's shown to be a top prospect as well in the division. So, interesting middleweight fight. Three fights in the UFC for Dacus uh, versus the one fight, like I said, for Kizreyev. So, uh, I'm going to go with Dacus here. Let me double check the odds here. Docus is actually a underdog at plus 100. So hopefully I get some, uh, get to snag an extra point there. But for now, I'm going with uh, Kyle Dawkins to continue to improve. Him and his brother have looked better fight to fight and have done really well so far. So I think that momentum keeps going in this one. So Kyle Dawkins to get the win. All right, cool. So that brings us to the co-main event. Man, 15 fights. My voice is trash. I apologize. I hope you guys uh, can tolerate it. My bad. But, yeah, we're now at the co-main event. Arnold Allen v- versus Sadiq Youssef. And I was talking earlier about uh, good matchmaking, and this is good matchmaking in the feather- men's featherweight division. Both fighters undefeated in the UFC. Arnold Allen 16-1 and 1 overall. Sadiq Youssef 11-1 and 1 overall. This is an interesting class of styles. Sadiq Youssef definitely going to want to keep it on the feed, land six, uh, over six strikes per minute uh, to Arnold Allen's three strikes per minute. Um, Sadiq does not really look for takedowns or any ground uh, worked for the most part, and if he does, it's obviously he's going to be want to be on top. Um, Arnold Allen does average almost two one and a half takedowns per uh, 15 minutes, and secures him about half the time. So very interesting clash of styles, as well as two very uh, you know hot up and coming prospects, both on a tear so far in their UFC careers. Let me double check here. So they're both coming off two, four, six fight, no five fight win streaks, and uh, honestly, somebody's. I mean, they both have at least one loss in their career overall the UFC they're both undefeated so as far as the UFC is concerned uh this is kind of a make or break to see who's gonna you know move to that next level in the and really contend in the top five top seven because like right now Arnold Allen's ranked 10 and Sadiq Yusuf's ranked 11 so this is really gonna like launch one of them up into that upper echelon with names we all know like Danny Gay, Jeremy Stevens. Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, things like that. Korean Zombie, like all these names above these two guys are ones we recognize. So it's really going to catapult them to the next stage. So I'm sure they're both coming out to you know have a dominant performance and to, to move into the next stage of their careers. And so um, this one could is a really potential. I'm, I'm actually going to go for it. I'm going to go one-point fight of the night uh, on this one, the co-main events: Sadiq Yusuf versus Arnold Allen. And um, given the smaller cage... And, and everything, I, I think that's going to push the pace in this fight. It's going to make them engage. And um, if you look at who they've both beat, that's the only thing that's a little bit different for me and makes me think that Sadiq Yusuf might have a little bit um, of a striking advantage or a decent striking advantage, but a little bit of an overall advantage to get the victory here. I'm going to take a look at the odds real quick. Plus 120 for Arnold Allen, minus 140 for Sadiq Yusuf. Uh, I may change this depending on uh, some research throughout the week. But for now, in the co-main event, I'm going with the underdog here. I'm gonna go with Arnold Allen to get the decision victory, which brings us to the main event. Yes, is it a boss move for ha- Holland to step in last minute, save the show, be the main event? You know, against a tough, tough opponent uh, in Marvin Vittori. Uh, yes, it's a baller move, and you know, hopefully he can win back some of that, you know, equity that he lost with uh, talking shit the whole time and has lost to Brunson and not really, you know, a lot of people thought that he didn't fight for it and he didn't fight his heart out. He was too busy talking shit. Uh, he said he's gonna come back and make sure to, uh, you know, kind of erase that a little bit. So I'm interested to see what he thinks he can do against a beast. Marvin Vittori is obviously smart enough to recognize um, that, um, you know, discrepancy in Holland's game, game. And if Holland gets put on his butt, if he, you know, if I feel like Vittori is just too big for him, man, I feel like he's going to be able to keep him down. And even if uh, Holland is more active and looking to try to get up more than he was against Brunson, then it's just going to be too much for him. And, you know, I I would love to be wrong in this spot. I would love um, Holland to come out and, you know, he's going to be quicker and more athletic and, and sharper on the feet, at least at the beginning. But the uh, power of the Vittori has in both hands and the smaller cage, I feel like, you know, plays into Vittori's hands if he needs to get a hold of him and get him down to the ground if he does get into some tough spots with uh Holland's quickness and length. So, overall, I got to go with the heavy favorite here. I think Marvin Vittori is able to uh get it done. I think... um you know, Kevin Holland is very durable, and he's he's able to keep himself safe in those positions on the bottom. So it, it may be tough to put him away. And uh, I could switch this, but for now, I think Marvin Vittori uh, is able to, you know, grind out a decision. He's not a way to, able to put him away. So I'm going to go with Marvin Vittori in the decision victory in the main event. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. And if you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections. My girl Nora, Custom Handmade Jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals. Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter. Upper Glass Tent. Eating buttery pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirt Smith, check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System Mac Noodles Chef Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care Sauce Meals Andrew Snyder and of course loves loves Stupor Tonic but last and not least MMT Fitness make sure to check him out on Instagram make sure to go out and check out the gym exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway the first class is always free tell them the DLSS podcast sent you but that does it for this week guys until next week same time and same place enjoy the fights